0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Practical Planner Podcast. I am your co-host, Thomas Copelman, co-founder of All Street Wealth and head of community at Wealth.com. Joined with, as always, Anne Rhodes, chief legal officer of Wealth.com. I'm excited to talk about this one. So, you know, this podcast is not about Wealth.com, but I'm an advisor. I use Wealth.com. And this is a big thing that I've been thinking about with a lot of clients of joint versus individual trusts, right? I mean, when you go to an estate planning attorney, pretty pretty set in stone. They're going to tell you what you need. Again, I tell everybody with wealth, hire the attorney, let them stamp that advice. But it's a thing that you can choose, whether you want an individual trust or whether you want a joint trust. And so I think this episode is really timely. And I also think it's going to be really helpful for people to think about what are the benefits of each? Why would you consider one versus the other? Um, So I'm excited to kind of hand this off to you and really start to think through why would somebody pick In my mind, why would somebody pick an individual versus a joint trust?
1: What is an individual versus a joint trust? Let's just start at the basics. Individual trust is created by one person. That is the person that signs the documentation that says, I'm creating this trust, um, and then also is putting the assets into the trust. So that funding of the trust is very important. To deciding if this is, you know, a, a individual or a joint trust. Joint can be any number of people above one, and so most commonly the joint trust structure is used by spouses, right? Because you kind of run your financial lives the same way, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, it could be funded by non-related people, just so long as it's more than one person. I have encountered trusts that were formed by like a mom and a son for, you know, the grandkids from that son. Um, those are very, very rare. You have to be very careful. And we'll talk about some of the issues that come with you know, uh, joint trust in general. Perfect. So difference between the two, I, at least I understand that.
0: But I think I didn't really think about the fact that you could do it not with spouses. I've never come across that. I In my head, I feel like that's not something I would want to advise. It sounds extra, honestly, complex and something fun not to manage. But let's start going through really why you would pick one versus the other? Because I think most of the time when, when I talk to clients about it, for one, funding a joint trust already sounds like a lot of work, right? But then funding individual trust sounds like even more work. So what are the reasons that somebody would want to separate those two? For
1: individual trust, let's talk about the most basic example. You have a spouse or a partner. You know, What are the considerations when you're like, should I do an individual or a joint trust? The first thing is that different states have different preferences. So I will tell you, like in New York, where I practiced, you saw very few joint trusts, even if the spouses were like, we love each other, our whole financial lives are tied together, and you know, all our beneficiaries are exactly the same. We don't have blended family issues, blah, blah, blah. And yet in New York, practitioners tend to use individual, revocable trusts. On funding, there's this there's this misconception that it's harder for people who own joint assets to fund individual trusts. That can actually be done uh, upon funding. There are a couple of you know uh, nuances that maybe an attorney can help you walk through. But honestly, individual trusts are fine. And then you have some, certain states where honestly, you know, practitioners um, are fine forming joint trusts. Uh, so there, the first example is a community property state. And so California here, where I'm located, you actually tend to presume that spouses have what's called community property, which is property that was earned during your marriage or that you acquired during your marriage. And actually there's this entity, it's like a mythical creature called the community that steps into your marriage and like owns the thing with you, you know, like overarching. And so because there's that community concept, most people in california should have a joint trust that becomes a little bit different and so this is where we'll talk about you know why individual trusts might be better and then you have non-community property states where practitioners are also fine with joint trusts so you know oklahoma for example uh, our local council have told us like yeah i do joint trusts all the time it's totally normal as long as they really do run their financial lives very similarly or you know hold assets jointly. They have the same beneficiaries. Um, yeah, comfortable with a joint trust. What happens with a joint trust uh, that makes it makes an individual trust maybe better is you've heard come some of these factors that come in. If you're a person who's married, but let's say it's a second marriage or a marriage late in life, you have pretty separate assets from your spouse. And you have pretty separate ideas of who your beneficiaries should be upon your death. That's where, like, honestly, whatever savings you think you're getting from a joint trust may not truly be there. Because a joint trust, I mean, the beauty of it is that you basically mirror each other's plan perfectly. You say, regardless of which spouse passes away first, you know, that's how we want our assets to go. Usually it says at the first death, you know, the first spouse to die, I want everything to go to the second spouse the one who survives, the widow or widower. And then once that spouse has passed away, I want most of my assets to go, you know, to X, Y, Z. And you've spelled it out. But as soon as you start departing from that, we're like, you want to make certain very specific gifts, but only if spouse X passes away first. And then you want to make other kinds of gifts. That's where you start actually getting away from some of the reasons you might want it to have a joint trust. And lastly, I will say two factors that people don't think about Number one is the chance that you have an upset beneficiary who's going to contest the formation of the estate plan. So let's say, you know, this is a blended family situation and you think one of the beneficiaries is going to be upset that they were written out of the trust or whatever else. If they are successful bringing a lawsuit against your estate plan, then the second spouse who's still there and alive, their estate plan just went out the window and so, you know, by contesting both spouses, a plan at the same time, that could create the risk, you know, that the entire estate plan goes away. Then the second issue, which is actually bigger, is taxes. So when you fund, when you put assets into that revocable trust, if it's an individual or joint trust, regardless, it's a revocable trust, the person who created it is still on the hook for any taxes generated by the assets. So remember in a previous episode, we talked about this concept of a grantor trust and a revocable trust does no income tax planning for you because it's literally see-through to the person who created it. That's the grantor trust. And so as soon as you have two grantors, right? It's like, are you pretty good at keeping track of the tax allocations? You know, If it's like a mother and a son, you're not filing joint tax returns. So that's starting to complicate a little bit like the income tax reporting. And so that's the reason why for non-spouses, we definitely don't recommend that you do a joint trust because it's, it becomes a tax accounting issue. For spouses that file jointly, it's a little less of an issue, to be honest. But then you talk about all the people who are in domestic partnerships, civil unions, something that's a very longstanding partnership, right, romantic partnership. But if you're not filing those taxes together, you know, you're not able to file jointly, then you do still have that issue.
0: That makes sense to me. I mean, that's kind of where my mind goes with the information that I have on this is blended families on later marriage, second marriages, that's when estate planning actually does become significantly more complex and people do want different things to happen, right? Maybe it's, just some of mine goes to my kids, just some of yours goes to your kids. And Hey, this is a second marriage. Maybe if something happens, you're going to have a third marriage. And then you, if we have a joint trust, you're going to want it all to go to your kids and maybe the next marriage kids. And that's not necessarily what I want. So an individual trust can make a lot of sense, but I will say at least in my experience, <clears throat> nine out of 10 families I work with are first marriage, which maybe is abnormal. They have kids. Most of their estate planning is each other. And kids. And so I think joint trusts end up making a lot of sense. And it's funny that we we brought up New York because that was something I always heard. And one of my clients is going through estate planning in New York right now. And the attorney was like, joint trust, like makes sense for you guys to have a joint trust. You're planning to move out of state. Um, You guys have your first baby. You want to keep everything here in between you guys. Joint trust makes a lot of sense. And so that's what they are getting done.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's this added complication of people move during their lives. So yes, you made this perfect plan that was really great for the state where you lived, and then you moved somewhere else. So remember, you know, you could have people moving from a community property state to a non-community property state or vice versa. What do you do about that? It's a complicated question, to be honest, maybe something you should explore with your advisor, CPA, an attorney. But I'll give you an example, right? A couple of examples of people who have kept their legacy trusts, even though it wasn't the best format for their new trusts. So I had a a set of clients where they had community property in California. They were married here. They earned, you know, some amount of money here. And then they moved to like Wyoming, which is not a community property state. And in that move, we debated with them whether or not they should keep their community property trust. We decided that, yes, it was worth it because what was in their community property trust were quickly appreciating assets. They had some real estate in there, but they had a lot of stock in startups as well. And there is something called a double basis step up that is very important because as each spouse passes away in a community property cases, the IRS will actually respect giving you a basis step up for the entire asset up to its fair market value so that if the surviving spouse sold it at that time, you would actually pay like very, very little in capital gains. And so for quickly appreciating property, it's like it's a big deal to lose the double basis step up and pretty much the only way you can prove to the IRS after you moved out of state. Oh, no, no, no. This thing is still community property. Practitioners think that the best way to preserve that is actually to keep it in a joint yeah. trust that was like your old California trust. And so all of a sudden you have to, you know, they did new individual trusts to individual trusts in Wyoming but then that fed back into their community property trust. So it was like they had pour over wills that poured into individual revocable trust that then poured into the community property trust. And for that, you need an attorney to get definitely. the flow right. Definitely. That sounds, that's definitely like a
0: state planning 301 or 401. <laughs> yeah. Super complex, but, but that makes a lot of sense. And the client that I was talking about, they probably expressed their attorney to that they're moving out of New York in the next year to Connecticut or one of the the neighboring states where that might just make the most sense for them.
1: But there's nothing stopping you from having both a joint revocable trust with your spouse and an individual trust because that's got some legacy separate assets. Nothing stops you as long as, you know, the entire plan kind of flows together and they talk to each other, these trusts. Um, Yeah, so I can give you another example. We had, uh, you know, a third generation beneficiary, grandson and he comes from, you know, a family that has a lot of wealth and they it's through a business, right? So they want to keep the business in the family line and then he got married, right, as people do. And so what we did was we formed a joint revocable trust for him and his spouse, just like any old, you know, joint trust and then for his family assets, there were much more restrictive provisions in there. And that's where we funded the family the business stock. And it had very limited powers for him to gift it away to his spouse. I think we said she could benefit from the income if she survived him. But at the heart of it, the principle that family business stock had to stay within the trust and pass down to his descendants. Well,
0: you you mentioned something earlier, though, about. Joint versus individual and the misconception that individuals is harder to manage. So I think, you know, practicality for people to understand this here. Okay, great. I have an individual trust. We have a lot of joint assets. How does that work? How does it work with a home? How does it work with our joint brokerage account, with our joint bank accounts? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so most of the time you can actually just say that you you take the same account and you put it in the name of both trusts. So, it's actually possible to do. There are a couple of nuances there where maybe you don't want to have that happen. Um, Well, first of all, you don't have to absolutely fund everything into your trust. There are some states actually where you should have trust for like privacy reasons, but actually, you know, funding the trust is less of an important exercise. So, you know, that's the first thing. You don't actually have to fund everything sometimes into your trust. The second thing is you do lose certain protections that happen only if there's like the joint, like the right magic words and the trust can't qualify for those magic words. So I'll give you an example. There's something called tenancy by the entirety in some states like um, I think New York, Illinois, you know, Missouri. Um, and so what happens there is that there's some creditor protection that attaches to the asset. So think normally like your family home, right? Like no matter what, you know, husband or wife is doing out there, that's like really risky and they have creditors coming after them. You put your family home as like held by the spouses in tenancy by the entirety. This is a type of titling that only spouses can have together. And so by trying to fund that into a a two individual revocable trust, you'd actually lose that creditor protection. So creditors can now come after your family home. So it's a little delicate, right? So sometimes individual trusts are not, you know, the right solution. But I will tell you there is something called tenancy by the entirety trusts as well. And so, you know, you can actually specifically like the state statute will say if you stick this asset into a trust, that's specifically formed to preserve tenancy by the entirety, we will respect that. So there are all sorts of you know crazy mechanisms out there with individual and joint trust.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I was actually just reading about that this week for a client in California. I mean, obviously that does make sense in that state, but there's all of these small terms and there's like five different accounts that it can be. And they're so slightly different, but the same in, in certain ways. And I was just like, oh man, I need to talk to Ann about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It can be very confusing. There's also the confusion of like various stopgap solutions, or what we as estate planners think of as stopgap, because it's like you know transfers on death, like for cars and tangible personal property and all sorts of things.
0: Okay, what what else have we not hit on in the difference between joint and individual? When to consider one versus the other?
1: It's a personal decision, right? That you should take into account. Um, it also depends a little bit on. How like if you have a CPA, for example, if all of a sudden like your income tax reporting becomes a little complicated, if you have a CPA in the picture, who can help you track income streams from assets that should be like under the name of your spouse versus yourself um, or your non-spouse more likely. And so these are some of the things that you should be thinking about when choosing between an income, uh, an individual versus a joint revocable trust. I don't know, Thomas, do you have anything else that?
0: you're thinking of? The only thing I was thinking of is like, in my mind as the non-estate planner here and the conversations that I've had, it feels like sometimes individual trusts get pushed a little bit more because it seems like a little safer of a route, right? Like if divorce happens, if remarriages happen, like it seems like, hey, this is probably the easiest way to ensure everything goes exactly the way that you want. And I think sometimes as the client or the person is like, we're married, we have kids, this is the marriage, this is our life we know we want the same things we want a joint trust and so a lot of times it still does make sense to go the joint trust route but i think you know i think it's easy sometimes to be in the lens of an estate planner and say like we've seen so many things go wrong so we're viewing this yeah. through the how do we try to make sure things go right and more separate can can help that but then for a lot of people there's disconnected like it feels simpler and that we are on the same page and that i don't know i think sometimes when people hear this they're like We believe in our marriage. Like it's kind of a stamp too of being like, you know, it's almost like a it's a feeling about their own marriage to be like, we don't need to think about this not working and have things separate because it's gonna work.
1: There are so many, you know, points uh, along the estate planning journey where you have to kind of make a call about how you feel about people, and it starts with your spouse, but also your kids and like all sorts of family members, and this is one of those. I think early points where you're like, Oh, you know, what do I anticipate and will that change my estate plan? My best advice is do the best you can with the information you have today. And you know what? Worst comes to worse. If you made a joint trust, guess what? It's revocable, right? And as part of a separation proceeding of some sort, like you'll understand kind of where assets ended up and you can revoke that joint trust. Usually, um, Honestly, the spouses should have the uni- unilateral right to revoke a joint trust. Maybe it will be addressed in that separation proceeding. It gets a little messy, but it's revocable.
0: And we hope for you that's not what you have to go through unless it's that's the better thing for your life. But okay, perfect. I think this is kind of all that we need to hit on for this episode. I'm glad we were able to sit down and talk through this because it's been something that I've been thinking about a lot is you know, I think in the last year I've had more clients go through estate planning than every other year combined. And so I've been learning a lot, very, this podcast has obviously been great for me, but you know, this is something that started to come up more and more. So hopefully for other advisors, this is helpful for things to think through. Cause again, as the advisor, you're not the estate planning attorney. You're not telling them, you're not giving legal advice, but you still should be able to educate your clients on why they're doing these things. I think for me, and my clients are the estate planning attorneys. They still come back to me and say, like, is this right? Does this make sense? Are we doing the right things? And so I have to be able to understand why an estate planning attorney is recommending that and helping re-explain it to them in the way that we as advisors probably know our clients better because when the estate planning attorney, right, you're going to go work with them, you're going to get your estate plan done, you're kind of going to move on. For us, I've been working with these people for a year. So I really can understand here's their knowledge base. Here's what they get. Here's their concerns. And so I do feel like it is my job to make sure they feel good about the things that they're doing and understand why they're doing it.
1: Yeah. A couple of notes I wanted to add before we wrap up this episode is notice that I never said a couple of things about joint trusts. The first misconception I think that is very common is that all of a sudden you lose the ability to do uh, estate tax planning, some sort of tax planning with a joint trust because you've like combined with your spouse. That's actually not true at all. So for example, in California, when I practice at Perkins Coie, we use joint trusts for like our ultra high net worth clients. And so you can actually form the marital trust, the bypass trust, all of those things to make sure that you still can do tax planning. And it's very important that you understand you can form a joint trust so that after the first death, you know, the first spouse to die, you still preserve the unlimited Marital deduction. And so that's a very common misconception. You can do all the tax planning your heart desires through a joint trust. The second misconception, I think, is that you can no longer no longer control your spouse. So if like spousal, you know, like making sure that at their death, your stuff goes to the right places, by having a joint trust, it doesn't mean that you can't form marital trusts anymore. That you can't like impose that layer of like oversight on your spouse's spending of their inheritance you can still have a marital trust hmm. as part of the the joint trust structure.
0: Well, I'm excited for the episodes coming up here soon where we really dive into marital trust because I think we've talked about them a lot. And I think probably a lot of people are like, cool, well, I can't wait to learn about it because it sounds very impactful, but complex at the same time with, th- with the different abilities that you have by utilizing them. Perfect, and appreciate you coming on, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Always want to send a reminder that if you guys have topics, please let us know. We've been starting to get a lot more and all of the ideas have been really good. And you know, we have this whole list of all the upcoming episodes and they're all getting plugged in. So if there's something you want to learn, let us know. Uh, but thank you again for listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, and we will see you back for the next episode.